Well, it's good to be here again this morning. It's a bit cooler inside. Notice mornings like this remind us that this New Zealand is the land of the long weekend. As people take the opportunity to uh, head off for a break. So let's, uh, we'll continue to pray for uh, those who are not here, that the Lord will bless them even today. <coughs> Would you please have your Bibles open at Colossians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at this last verse in chapter 1. We finally got to the end of chapter 1. Um, I was hoping to sort of, we will sort of fringe into chapter 2 this morning, but I didn't get as far as I expected. That's life. Let's just ask God's help as we look at his word this morning. Father, thank you for your mighty work in us. Continue that work, we pray. In spite of our human frailties, in spite of our uh, fallibilities, Father, in spite of our sins, be pleased to work in us and through us. May your Holy Spirit this morning open our hearts to your truth. Make us teachable, that we may receive that truth which you have set before us. And so in obedience we may know your blessing also. So thank you, Father. And uh, guard over my words and our thoughts as we look at these passages so that we may receive what you have to teach us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of uh, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, we have these words. For I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You ever heard the expression, uh, let go and let God? Okay, it comes up occasionally and it has some application. There are times in our lives when we attempt to do what only God can do, when things are simply beyond the possibility of our control. And it can be humbling for us to learn that we are not in control of everything. Well, I'm not anyway. What about you? No, we learn that there are things which are way beyond our control. Some things are simply beyond us. I remember seeing a cartoon once in a science magazine where the, in the face of sort of nuclear holocaust, there appears a survivor, a cockroach. And there he is, in spite of all the nuclear fallout and so forth, they're surviving. And underneath, the punchline simply read, every now and then, we come across some little thing that's too big for us. Some little thing that's too big for us. And one of the things we learn when we actually be, uh, come to Christ is that we cannot save ourselves from our own sin. One of the things that's there is that we cannot do anything towards our own sin towards our own salvation. God offers this to us as a gift. We can do nothing more than to reach out and receive our salvation, this gift of righteousness from God, recognizing that we contributed nothing to it. It's all a work of God. But as we then engage in the Christian life, we discover a wonderful and sometimes a very challenging truth that God has called us to be his partners in many areas of Christian service. In other words, he invites us to work with him in doing the work of his kingdom. 
Now, some Christian teachers today would like to tell us that the Christian life somehow is a matter of just being smooth and peaceful and joyful and without any kind of effort involved. That if we trust God, everything becomes easy. Has anybody had that experience? No. We'll see why in a minute, but it's not my experience either. So I've missed something or they have. But when we look at what the Bible actually has to say, we find that it doesn't always match up to such a thought. Make no mistake, in Christ, as we are joined to Jesus, there is a real peace that is part of our life. But it is peace with God, but it is not peace with the world around us and its worldviews. There is a joy, a deep joy in our hearts through knowing God and knowing His Son, Jesus. But also along with that joy comes the heartache we see as we see the rejection of God in our communities. We see God's power at work, but our life as followers of Jesus is not a life of ease. In the passage, as we look at this passage in Colossians this morning, I want you to see something of the apostles' experience because it's something of ours as well. And the underlying thought is this that when we apply our efforts to doing God's work, then God works in us and through us as well to achieve mighty things. When we work at God's work, God himself energizes us to achieve his work. Now I'm going to take a close look at the words that Paul uses in this verse 29 and then see how this affects us. Now keep in mind, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he is speaking the word of God. And he says to us in verse uh, 29, he says, For this I toil. For this I toil. Well, the first thing we need to be clear about is what is this? talks about this. If we go back into the previous verse, we say, Him we proclaim, that is Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Don't want to do it all again. But this work, this toil, involves the proclaiming, the teaching, the warning people about their, their, their life and presenting to them Christ. Believe it or not, it's hard work at times. It is hard work at times. It involves effort. When I go home, I usually collapse on the couch. <laughs> right, it's not a, anything worse than that. But you feel tired. And it's, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise that anybody who's involved in any kind of Christian work at all, whether it's just part of a team or so forth, it involves effort. Let us not be surprised at this. And the Apostle Paul says, I work at this. This, this, uh, Paul is pointing to the central purpose of his ministry, which is proclaiming Christ. And he says that he does this so that everyone may be presented to God as mature, as complete in Christ. And it involves sharing the truth of Jesus with non-Christians. Then it involves teaching those who have come to trust Jesus for salvation about how we live as followers of the Christ. And we find that this is what grabs the, 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 the passion and the imagination of the apostle. It's the focus of his life. And this is what, to this he commits his time. This is what uses his energy. This is what is in his heart to see everyone complete in Christ. 
And so he says, for this I toil. And this word is used to speak of hard, tiring labour. Paul is not talking about his work as if it were some gentle stroll, some casual effort, some light gardening. This work is hard graft. It brings him to the point of physical and psychological and spiritual tiredness. In 2 Timothy, Paul uses the same word when he talks about the hard-working farmer. Some of the farmers this week in this heat have discovered that hard work is hard work, right? <laughs> and we, we see this also. Uh, Paul, uh, this, in the same word Simon used when he was on his fishing boat. When Jesus came to Simon after he had sort of got on the boat, went out, he had taught the crowd, and then he turned to Simon and said, uh, let down your nets for a catch. And the, Simon Peter says to him, Master, we have been toiling all night and we have got nothing. Which tells me that my fishing experience is not unique. But he worked all night as a professional fisherman, casting out the nets, hauling in the nets, and always this disappointment, nothing. So at the end of the night, he was tired. That's what this toil is talking about. Of course, at Jesus' word, you did it. And they caught this huge number of fish. One lesson I want us to take on board as we look at this, and we must be fully aware of this, that this work of ministry, this work of serving Christ and his people is challenging and it is demanding. Don't think that it will always be easy. It will use up your energy. It will use up your physical energy. It will use up your mental energy. If it doesn't, we're not working hard enough. And so we must recognize that serving Christ is going to make demands on us, on our energy and our time and our resources. Even though we may not be an apostle, and I'm not, or preachers, which I may be, or even leaders in the church, we're still called to be part of this serving Twice Paul in chapter 1 refers himself to himself as a minister. And this word minister is the word servant. This is the word actually diakonos from which we get the word deacon. One who serves. And Paul in his mindset was not there to be up here in terms of the one at the center of everything. He was the one who was centered on focusing, centered on serving God's people through the teaching of the word of God. While we may not be apostles like Paul, we are called to serve Christ and to serve each other and serve our community by helping them understand the good news of Jesus Christ. You may have heard of that song, Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. I see Becky going to start to sing it at the back, which is some other time. I'm sure that when we sing this song together, that the me in the song. We're not thinking about somebody else. We're applying it to ourselves. Lord, help me to be a servant. Brother, help me to serve you. Let me serve you. We want to help each other grow in Christ, to become mature, complete in Christ. That is ministry. And every person in this room has a part to play in the ministry of the whole. We must not understand, must not think that somehow, well, I'm not up the front preaching doesn't matter. We are part of the whole. 
and we have a part to play. We'll see more about this in a minute. That is ministry. Why do we do this ministry? Very simple. Because we love each other. Don't we? Because we love each other. And we want to see each person, each one of the people sitting beside us, behind us, in front of us, grow and be complete in Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there with this word toil because he's got some amazing things which he wants to add. And he says, struggling with all his energy. Struggling with all his energy. Do you struggle in the Christian life? Yes? Well, join the club. So do I. So does every Christian that attempts to follow Christ. This word struggle, we need to understand. It is literally the word agony. That's where the word agony comes from. It's the Greek word agonizomai. And so they're just imported into English, which we often do. We just borrowed the whole word. And it comes into English. And it speaks, particularly in the Bible, of our heart anguish of soul. Modern English has often come to be used of physical pain. But in the Bible, it speaks more of a deep burden of the heart, of anguish of heart. And the same word is often used of the attitude of an athlete as they struggle to compete to their maximum effort, 100% committed to achieving the goal of winning the race. And Paul cared for and had a deep burden in his soul for these Christians at Colossae that they would be complete in Christ. And you'll notice too in chapter 2 verse 1, he uses the same word again, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and about whom, and for all who have not seen me face to face. And again, the same word, agonize, is used. And Paul is sharing the deep burden he has for the spiritual care and welfare and growth of the Christians in Colossae and in this other city, Laodicea. It was a city about 10 kilometers away from Colossae. Paul had never met these Christians, and yet he had a burden for how they progressed in Christ. So a question that we need to ask that's sort of buried here is, how could Paul struggle or agonize for these Christians when he was hundreds of kilometers away and had never met them and probably never would meet them in this life? A bit frustrating, you would think, would it not? Here we have all these problems over there. How can I help? Well, we get one clue from one possibility in chapter 4. If you've got your Bible open, just flick over to chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, where Paul talks about another worker there with him. And he says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, in other words, he was from Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. And Paul says, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers so that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. What was he doing? Praying. What did Paul say? He's worked hard for you and for these other cities as well. And given that the word agonize applies to the work of athletes, I think we need to have in mind that word, not so much struggle, as wrestle. Epaphras wrestled in prayer, and I'm sure Paul did too, for these Christians in Colossae and in that region. Some other translations actually use the word wrestle in this place. 
And in this place, I think, would be a better translation. In my mind, if you see the word struggling, if I say I'm struggling, I'm saying I'm drowning. You ever feel like you've been drowning? And there you are, trying to stay afloat, where Paul says we're not drowning, we're fighting. We're engaged in spiritual battle. And the word struggle, this word, translating this word wrestle, reminds us that we are involved in this battle and that our prayers are a key part of that battle. And so the second lesson I want you to take on board today is that we can be involved in the work and the ministry and serving Christ even though we are not physically present with the people that we are praying for. Wrestling in prayer is another key important part of our work. Now, in Ephesians 6, Paul uses this word wrestle. It's actually a different word in the Greek. It's not agonize. It's another one. But he does talk about the spiritual warfare. In Ephesians 6, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Then if we skip down to verse 17, and he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of truth, or the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the gospel, mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What's he saying? We have to understand that we are part of a global conflict. There is a dimension to our spiritual uh, warfare which is more than just what we can see in terms of the physical around us. And as we pray into that arena, if you like, of the heavenly places, we are engaging in a spiritual warfare with those who want to destroy the church of God. Okay, They may manifest themselves through various human beings and various movements and the like, but behind all this opposition is the work of Satan. And so when we pray, we are engaging in that warfare so that even if we're praying here in Invercargill for something that's in Africa or in, <coughs> or in China or in England or the US or South America, same warfare. And the God who sees everything knows what we pray and by the power of his spirit responds to what we pray. We may not know what the people that we're praying for go through in that particular moment, but we're called to pray. I'm sure that's why at times praying is so hard. I'm convinced that when we find praying the hardest, that's perhaps when we most need to focus and engage in prayer. If it is and if it is difficult and if it is inconvenient and if it feels like a huge struggle, don't give up. We've been reminded today to pray for Catherine and Michelle and Marie and uh, we find that they are also involved in the same cosmic conflict 
what we do here in terms of prayer affects them. We can be sidetracked in our prayer life by thinking that it's all about our personal feelings. That we're praying so that we will feel good, that we will feel blessed, that we, our fellowship with God may be sweet. And that does happen and it's wonderful at times. But sometimes I feel frustrated after prayer that I don't seem to have accomplished much. But let us remember that engaging in prayer is part of the battle. That it involves hard work and not give up our efforts. And from a distance, we might not see the outcome straight away or even ever in this life. But let's continue to pray. Epaphras struggled for this church that he came from. Paul never been there, but he struggled in prayer for these people as well. I'm sure he did other work for them as well. He wrote this letter and others. And keep in mind that Paul was under lockdown. Just put that in there. Not always the easiest of circumstances. But coming back to Colossians, there's one truth in these words that we must also take to heart. And he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that is so powerfully, that he powerfully works within me. Struggling with all his energy <clears throat> that he powerfully works within me. And there's a surprising pronoun or two in this passage. In our common usage, we might say, I tried to lift the weight with all my strength. I worked with all my energy. And Paul says, struggling or wrestling with all his energy. And we have the his, and later he says, he. Focuses are not on Paul's resources. As a human being, he was not equal to the task that God had called him to. But he started to realize that when we actually focus on what God has called us to, then God supplies a strength which is beyond ours. And we have laid before us this another wonderful truth, and this is the third lesson. When we apply our efforts for the work of God, God works in us and through us. When we apply our efforts for the work of God, God works in us and through us. And when we work, God is pleased to strengthen us and to work through us. Paul comes to this theme also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So he deals with divisions in the church and he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I worked at putting the seed into you. Apollos worked at watering as well. He encouraged and nurtured that. But it's God that gives the growth. And he who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to the la his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. Stop and think about that for a few minutes. God says, I want you and me to be partners in this work. Didn't have to do that. Didn't need to do that. But he's including you and me in his work. Amazing. Yeah, Martin Luther clearly understood this when he wrote those famous words in his hymn, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We try to do this work simply in our own strength. It's not going to be any successful. 
But if we do God's work in his way, he will provide the resources that we need to be able to get the job done. And then he goes on. He says, even more, he says, but when I look at this, he says, literally says, he goes on, he says, um, <clears throat> lost the verse. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Now, this is an amazing statement as well because it is sort of got layer upon layer because literally he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he is energizing in me in power. Do you think he's making a point here? Energizing all his energy that is energizing me in power. Now, there's another word where the English has stolen the word straight from the Greek. This is the word in the Greek which is energeo, from which we get the word energy. He uses it first as a noun and then as a participle, energizing. And he uses this word energy or energize twice. And then he finishes off with this other word, power, which is the word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamic and the word dynamite. Are you trying to tell us something? When we apply ourselves to the work of God prayerfully, carefully, seeking to honour him in all that we do, God works in us. He works through us. He does things which we cannot do. And it's beyond our full comprehension, but God works in deep ways, even beyond our seeing, when we work for the kingdom of God. So be assured, when we work serving Christ in any way, God works in us and through us. And so the fourth thing I want you to take note of this morning, when we work for Christ, God gives us the strength to the energy to achieve through us what he wants done. Philippians 4.13, we read, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what is this strengthening like? What is this strengthening like? Sometimes in my experience, occasionally I've experienced a special uplifting which takes away tiredness and fear, a boldness and energy in the work which is amazing to participate in. But that's not my usual experience. the main thing that we see is we got it done. We got the work completed. We see that the task at hand is finished. Regardless of all the struggles which precede anything we do for God's kingdom, afterwards we look back and say, it was good to be part of that. Last weekend we had a celebration of the Chinese New Year here at Tweed Street. And in the weeks leading up to it, I wondered what would happen. Will it fall flat on its face? Will anybody come? I was overjoyed when I was told, I think on the Wednesday or the Thursday, that there were going to be 40 people there. I thought, that's wonderful. That's amazing. Praise God. And then by the weekend coming, the week, numbers started to blow out. On the day, we had well over 100 people who turned up at different times. And through the witness of that day, four people became Christians. Amazing again. You know how I felt after that day? I felt a little bit like I was a spectator. Who was there? I know I did a few things to help, but you sit there and you think, 
God's working here. I'm not in control. All these things are happening all over the place. And it brought, God brought it together in such a way that in all the messiness of all the seeming lack of organisation at times, God worked. And he brought people to faith. I couldn't do that. People came from Auckland and Christchurch and Dunedin to minister to the people of Southland. And through all this work of so many, God worked. And even on Friday night, we had 10 people turn up for our Bible study. It was an opportunity for ongoing work. Now let's think again. On the 18th of February, we have an open day. Already I'm thinking, will anybody come? Will it fall flat? Will we have opportunity to talk to non-Christians? Please agonize in prayer. God can use this. And if at the end of the day we only have half a dozen conversations, it doesn't matter. Looking for more than that, but when we work in seeking to build God's kingdom, God does use our imperfect, frail, and fallible efforts. It may like seem like much, but it is something. And one thing that David Stuffel said to me when he was here, which I tucked away, he says, many people are just one invitation away. So as we talk to people in our families, people in our neighbourhood, our friends, our enemies, invite them. You may be surprised. God may work through that simple means as the first step in bringing them to faith and making them part of the body of Christ. Let's pray.